Jesus, I love you. I want to talk about getting clear with Christ, and this morning I want to talk about cherish, cherishing Him. We talked about seeing Him last week in Revelation chapter 1, and today we're going to talk about cherishing Him. I had the privilege of marrying a dear couple uh, in our, our sanctuary a few weeks ago, the Kimball family, and uh, in the vows it says, do you take so-and-so to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to love and to cherish till death do you part. How do you cherish someone? We don't use that word a whole lot uh, in modern uh, day, especially you don't see that word cherish on texting uh, or social media so much. But how do you cherish someone? It's hard in any marriage, especially those if you've been married for a while. How many people have been married in the room over 10 years? Okay, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. There's the pros right there. If you want anything to know, go to see them. Uh, amen. Over 50 years. Great. In a good marriage, you have to keep the honeymoon alive. Uh, between jobs and family and church and uh, activities and miscommunications and life's challenges, it's easy uh, to wake up one day uh, next to a stranger or to someone that you've been distant with. Uh, Beth and I have been married uh, going on 13 years uh, now. And it's, uh, even in our short time of marriage, it's easy for marriage to be monotonous. It's easy for things just to be routine and to be a roommate with somebody uh, and just say, hey, we, we got a good thing going here, but where's the fire? Where's the spark? Where's the romance? Is, is, are we still in love? We know we love each other, right? You know you love your spouse, but sometimes you don't always feel in love. How many people know what I'm talking about? It's easy to get to that place. Uh, and I want to talk to you about cherishing uh, this morning. The word cherish, if you look it up in the, in the Latin, it means to hold dear, to adore, to treasure, to value highly. It means to protect or care lovingly for someone. And so to cherish is to hold dear that which you had from the beginning, to hold someone close to cherish them, to lovingly adore them, uh, and to uh, make it new on a regular basis. For instance, what are the things, uh, married couples, what are the things, think back, that you did when you were engaged or dating or even in that first year or two uh, when you uh, first fell in love and you got married. Think about the things. You probably held hands. You might have went on walks. Guys, you probably wore deodorant, took a shower before you picked her up. You put on a new shirt. Now, you know, it's easy to just put on the sweatpants and you order Chinese food in and you do a Netflix binge or something like that. That's not so romantic. But when you cherished her at the very beginning, you got that cologne out of the box that you had never used before and you brushed your teeth and your hair and you put on a good face you know for them you cherish them you you adored them you probably bought flowers randomly or it was those random texts of I love you uh, and I didn't do anything wrong you know those kind of a things right uh, th because if you do something wrong it doesn't mean anything now it's just now you got to make up for it but those random things of of love notes and buying random gifts and taking long walks or doing the laundry or the dishes for the other person, the chores for them. There's that honeymoon period 
of dating and in marriage. Well, in the same way, there's a honeymoon period, I think, in Christianity. I think about when I first uh, got saved, uh, and I mean really saved. You know, I grew up in church, and, and I was in church, and I believed in the Lord, and I did all that. But there was a moment about when I was 17 uh, years old. Man, I met God at an altar at a revival service, and God powerfully uh, touched me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, I knew, I knew that I knew that I was saved. And as I began to go into college, I was 18 years old going into college. Man, I was burdened to pray every day. I could not buy enough Christian books. Let me tell you, I began to, if you've seen my office, you know how my library looks. A lot of that began because I was just hungry. How many of you know it's hungry for the word, hungry for God and any topic I could buy to get my hands on. And I began to go to church and I got in a small group and wasn't long. They put me as a leader of one of those small groups in our college ministry. And wasn't long after that, man, I was going on a missions trip and I never talked in public in my life. I hated public speaking. And the pastor comes to me and says, hey, I see something in you. Guess what? You're going to preach in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And I had never written a sermon, never spoke out loud. I was sat on the back row, never raised my hands. I'm saying I'm a quiet, shy, back row person. And he says, you're going to preach in Haiti. I didn't, and they speak French, you know, Creole, by the way, and I didn't even speak English. So I had an interpreter. And I go as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old person uh, and go and preach in this foreign country with voodoo priests and, and all kinds of... They had a demon-possessed person on the back row. Right by, I mean, I was preaching, and I'm not joking. They had, were holding a demon-possessed person behind me from running out the door. No lie. I'm preaching in a dirt floor uh, in the middle of, uh, of, of, of nowhere Haiti. Man, no lights and technology. I mean, it's, we're... I don't know what I'm doing, but it was the passion and the love of God. I was not called into ministry. I had no plans to go to ministry whatsoever. But all I knew is that I could not stop telling people about Jesus. I could not pray, stop praying to Jesus. I could not stop reading about Jesus. I could not stop being in love with Jesus. I had a honeymoon experience with God. And let me tell you, it has not been easy especially after entering full-time ministry, to keep that alive. It's hard to keep the honeymoon alive when what is new becomes normal, okay? When what is new becomes normal. Would you define your Christianity today as normal or as new? It is the renewing of our mind. It is the transforming of our spirit. It is the renewing. And that cherishing Christ is a continual renewing of that relationship with Him. It is keeping the honeymoon alive. And look with me in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And if you have a pen, you can write this down, that love requires labor... But labor does not require love. Love requires work to keep love alive. Love requires labor. But labor does not require love. I can labor in something without loving it, but I cannot love something without laboring for it. How many people know what I'm saying this morning? You can love something, but you're going to labor for it. If you love it, you'll labor for it. But you can labor for something you don't love. How many of you have a job you labor for, but you don't love? 
There you go. All right. But when you love something, you'll labor for it. Let's read Revelation chapter two, verse one through seven to the angel, which is the messenger of the church in Ephesus. Write this. Now, John, the apostle is on an isle of Patmos imprisoned uh, for preaching Jesus Christ. He's writing back to his home church in Ephesus where he and Jesus's mom, by the way, uh, settled in. And uh, he writes, he sees a vision of Jesus Christ, and at the end of his life, in one of the prime persecution times in the uh, 80 years after the birth of Christ, about uh, 80 BC, uh, 80 AD or in the 90 AD, he's writing to inspire the persecuted church in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so Jesus speaks to him. He says, John, write back to your home church in Ephesus and to the leaders there. He says this, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this. He says who he is. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false and you have had perseverance and you have endured for my namesake. Look at all the things they've done. And you've not grown weary in it all, but I have this against you. You ever watch Mary Poppins and the spoonful of sugar? How many people do that with your kids? You're doing great, but let me tell you something about yourself. All right. He says, I have this thing against you that you have left. Everybody say left. That word in the Greek means to abandon it, to neglect. It even can sometimes mean divorce. It means you have neglected or left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove, repent, or I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Somebody say, Amen. Let me give you the background of this letter. John writes to one of the best churches in that time period. And he writes to a town of Ephesus. Ephesus was like the New York City of the ancient world. It would have been the World Trade Center was there, okay? It was a temple to the god of Artemis or Diana, same name, uh, one's Greek, one's Roman. And it was one of the seven wonders of the world. I mean, hundreds of pillars and huge and tall and marble and gold. And people all around the ancient world would come see this thing like the Twin Towers used to be or the Arch in St. Louis or things like that. They would travel there. And in this major city, it was a major Roman city. It was a major place where the emperor would set up his, his uh, statue as head over all the gods. He was powerful. His name was Domitian. He was one of the main persecutors after Nero of the, modern church, or the ancient church. And if you did not bow to him on a regular basis every year and affirm it, there would be persecution for you. Every time you went into the marketplace, into the Walmart, into this big agora, uh, to buy or sell or set up a booth to trade, you would have to take incense and offer a worship to the emperor. So it was hard for Christians to understand, how do I buy? How do I sell? How do I be a part of the economy today? People don't want to shop at my shop because I don't worship uh, the way that everybody else worships. There was 14, I think, other temples in the place. And so Christians were the minority. They were the outcasts. They were the ones that nobody wanted to deal with. And he says, but you guys have been awesome. 
You guys have been toiling and persevering. You've been patiently enduring. You've not grown weary. I know your good deeds in the midst of a pagan, idolatrous world. It got worse. At this temple of Artemis, this god was the god of fertility and life. And in this temple were thousands of priests. But at the same time, there were hundreds of female and male prostitutes. And one of the ways you worship the god of fertility was to go in and have a lot of sexual immorality with these prostitutes. It was an act of worship. Now think about the depravity of that situation. It puts Las Vegas like down here. This was massive drunken parties of sexual immorality all over the place. And these little fertility goddesses, and they would have parades of drunken... uh, debauchery, man. It was just all over. I mean, the idea of the whole city was sex, and it was just rampant across. So here's this church in a day like that, and he says, in the midst of a pagan and vile world, you guys have held it. You've persevered. You told, man, you guys, this is the church you come to, man, and they've got the best services. They've got the best worship team. They have the altar services. They're fasting. They're praying, and, and they're giving in the offering, and, and they've got the best VBS in town. I mean, they are it, the best church. He says, you know what? You test false people come in with falsehood, and there's this group of the Nicolaitans, and they come in, and they say, hey, guess what, guys? Uh, you know it's okay. You can compromise. You know, well, the only thing God cares about is your soul anyway. It doesn't matter if you drink, you smoke, or cuss, or go up there to that temple and have sex. It, you can get along. You can get along with society. You know, take a little bit of society because the body doesn't really matter. It's just your soul. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. He knows that you love Him. But if you, you want to compromise on these areas, it's not a big deal. How many see that, that spirit in the world today? We can be Christian, but you can look just like the rest of the world so long as you got it here in your heart. God will forgive you. God loves you. He's got a grace and love and, and mercy and truth and all this. But, but if you want to gamble and smoke and do all this stuff and have sex outside of marriage and all this, it's okay. Just don't go crazy in it, you know, because keep your soul right with God. And that spirit was in that day, and it kept kind of trying to come into that church. They said, no, we are going to stand holy. We're going to stand separate from society. He says... This church, man, I know you. I know what you've done. So it gives all these pros, all these blessings. Man, you guys have had deeds and toil and perseverance, and you don't tolerate evil, and you even judge these so-called messengers. But yet, guys, you've, you've persevered, you've endured, and not grown weary. All the positives, right? And he says, but there's a con here. I'll give you all the pros, but there's a con, church. He says, despite your VBSs and your good worship and your good preaching and your good teaching, and your good doctrine, you, you man, you believe in, in this, this theology. I don't know what it is. You believe in this doctrine and you got your denominationalism down. You got the best teaching. Not to mention this church, it had Paul teach at it for two and a half years. It had Timothy teach at it. And it was John's home church. Now, you know, they had some good teaching, some good preaching up in that church. Paul and John, man, these guys settled this church and founded it says, but guys, in the midst of your best church, you've neglected your first love. He says you've, you've left it. That word neglect or to div- even to divorce, it rarely uses the word divorce, but it often means to neglect or to leave or to forsake. Not in the sense maybe that they had lost their salvation, but they were nearing it. But they thought they were having church now. 
They were running those aisles and jumping those pews, maybe. They were digging into the text of the meat of the Old Testament and, and learning the Greek words and what they meant. Well, they are new Greek, but they were learning it, you know what I'm saying? They were studying it. They were having Bible studies. They were having uh, BBSs. They were, they were digging in to Jesus. He says, but I have one thing against you. You don't love me like you used to. What? What do you mean, God? We, look at all this stuff we've done. Don't you see? We don't go to those drunken orgies. We don't, we don't allow false teachers. Nobody gets the microphone without going through a three-step background check. Before they can get up there, we don't know what they're going to say. So, I mean, how many know that's sometimes needed? But, but we, don't, we don't let anybody just get up on the stage. You've got to go through a, a training course to be a greeter. You, man, you know, if you want to be in kids' church, man, we watch you like a hawk. I mean, just to make sure there's nothing worldly happening in our church. We love the Lord. He says, but man, I was one thing, really important thing. He says, unless you repent and renew, I'm going to remove you. That's serious. Unless you repent, unless you make it new again, I'm going to remove your place from my church. That's serious stuff. That's serious stuff. For those of you who don't think that maybe you can lose your salvation, there's a text right there. You're in me, but unless you repent and renew with me, I will remove you from me. What is going on here? One author says, it says, they were busy being separated for Christ, so busy that they became separated from Christ. They wanted to be separated for Christ, but they became separated from Christ. And their crime is this. There's no first love and there's no first labor. There's no first love and there's no first labor. They were doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. And the righteous brothers would say they lost that love and feeling, all right? That's, that's, uh, that's their theme song, okay, at that altar call that day. You've lost that love and feeling. It's gone, 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 right? He's like, there's nothing there. There's no fire in the midst of you. There's no passion. You thought you were purity, but purity does not replace passion. And, and labor for me doesn't replace love for me. Somebody say amen. amen. That purity and the holiness and the separation and all that stuff, that's good. You need to be separate. I'm, pr- I'm proud of you for being separate from the world, but purity does not replace passion. And, and I'm glad you've labored for me, but that labor for me does not replace your love for me. They've forgotten the honeymoon phase. They've forgotten why they were doing what they were doing. You're doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. It was a loveless labor. It was just doctrine. It was just going through the motions. And church, I tell you right now, that is, if there's one thing our area is known for is this right here. We got all the right churches. We got all the right preachers. We can get, if you don't like this worship team, go find another worship team. We've got the, every style you could imagine. You, if you don't like this doctrine, go to that doctrine. But they're all good doctrines. They're all great teams. There's some great preachers in our area, in the Bible Belt in Louisiana. There are some great churches. We know how to do church. We, you want to run and shout the aisles, come to this church. If you want to get on your face and study the Bible, go to this church. Man, we got it down on how to do church. But he says, but you've forsaken me. Do you love me? Are you passionate for me? And if you don't think you can be faithful to God and not love him, 
Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, how do you do that? If I have all the mysteries and knowledge, and I know them, I have revelation from God. If I have all the faith, they can even remove mountains. He says, you can have it. But if you don't love, if you're not in love, in intimate Christ-like love with God, he says, you have nothing. It's the same thing he's saying, guys, you've been faithful, but you don't love me. And sometimes we replace faithfulness for love. Sometimes we replace going to church with loving God. Sometimes we replace paying our tithes with loving God. I've, I'm, God is my witness as your pastor here. We have had people come in and say and pay their tithes, drop it off and say, well, the pastor doesn't care if I'm there as long as I pay my tithes. False. I don't care if you pay your tithes or not. Are you going to heaven? Do you love the Lord? Because it ain't about paying your tithes. You can pay your tithes every week and still go to hell. You can come in here and sing on the worship team and still go to hell. You can serve as a greeter or a VBS. You can read your Bible every day and pray alone at home and still go to hell. He says, but you lost your first love. They've abandoned him. They neglected him. A working relationship is what he wanted. He didn't want them to stop doing the labors, but he wanted a relationship. It's kind of like this. Guys, if you can think about your wife, it's like as if the wife would come to the husband and say it this way. Honey, you're a good provider. You work hard for our family. Uh, I know you love our kids. Uh, You've been faithful to me. You don't cheat on me. But we haven't held hands in forever. We haven't gone on a date in years. We're not intimate anymore, physically, emotionally. Uh, you care more about hanging out with your friends and your hobbies more than me. You, I know you love me, but are you in love with me? It's like you'd rather be somewhere else when you're with me. I know you're dedicated to this institution that we have called marriage, but we're like two strangers living in the same house for years now. For years now. You don't act like you're married. And this has got to change. That's the same conversation that Jesus is having with this church. You can be faithful to Christ without loving Him because not cheating on your spouse is not the same as loving your spouse. When I married this couple, I did not say to them, do you promise never to cheat on your spouse till death do you part? No. Why? Because if you promise to love and to cherish, you won't cheat on your spouse. Right? It's not about the don'ts. It's about the do's. See, this church had gotten all the don'ts figured out. Don't go to the temple. Don't drink that. Don't smoke that. Don't go there. Wear this. Don't wear that. Don't do all this. Don't watch that show. Don't watch this show. Don't type this on Facebook which is a lot of things, right? Don't, don't do all these things. But what about the do's? When's the last time you just fell down in His presence, worshiping Him as mighty God? When's the last time you just went outside and looked at the stars and the clouds and just was amazed that same God that spoke that into existence created you? When's the last time you looked at a little kid and just saw the wonder of God, you know, in them? 
When's the last time you just sung a hymn or a chorus and you, you really, really sung it and you understood it and it meant something to you? When's the last time you read the Word of God and it came alive off the page and it put a fire in your bones like Jeremiah said that you couldn't help but tell somebody what God had done to you today? When's the last time you were so in love with Jesus that you wanted to tell somebody about Him? We tell people about our cheese sandwiches on Facebook. But how in love with the God of the universe who gave his only son to die on the cross and take my sin and give me his righteousness so that I might have hope in him forever after. Man, what about that love? What about that passion? Are we excited? Do I willingly give to the poor that all might hear and know that there is a God who's loved me and he loves you? He says, where's that passion? He's saying, Ephesus, I don't see you witnessing out to the spars and, and, the, and the brothels anymore like you once did. Ephesus, I don't, I don't see you passionate. It's like as soon as the song service is over, you're ready to hit the door to go to Applebee's or whatever. He's like, I don't see you caring for one another. I don't see you caring for me. It's just dead songs and dead preaching and dead altar calls. It's all for nothing. It's all it's like you're just separating yourself out from the world and waiting for me to come back. But there still has got to be intimacy and passion and, and longing. For the things of God. Three things I want you to take with us before we close is this. Number one, Ephesus needed to see the society for what it was. Like Ephesus today, we need to understand how to separate ourselves. He, didn't, he commended them for their purity. He said, you didn't go with this false teaching where the body is separate from the soul. You, you made sure, Ephesus, that you were seeing society as sin. We need to see church in this new year, see sin for what sin is. We need to look at this world and look at the behaviors and patterns of this world where Christianity is something that you can mix and mold with any other religion. And as long as you believe in one God, there's some God out there like you're seeing in the national stage today. As long as you believe in something... Or it's okay if you believe in, in gay rights and gay marriage and as long as you held to this. We see one of our major national denominations about to split over the issue of ordaining gay clergy. It's all sin. It's all false teaching. It's all false doctrine. The same spirits in Ephesus are still here today, church. These same doctrines that say that you can post these images of yourself online and and look like you've gone to the nightclubs and you know how they post online and and do all these things that yet still go to church on Sunday you can still do all these things and 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 still be a Christian and and Ephesus says no we take a stand for holiness we see sin for what it is and we separate ourselves to be separated not just from though he's saying it's not about being separated from the world listen to me it's about being separated to God. It is not about being separated from the world. It is about being separated to God. Religion separates you from the world, but Holy Spirit separates you to God. And if you're separated to something, I don't have to worry about all the don'ts. You see, I don't have to make a list of things I don't do to my wife or don't say to my wife or fail for my wife. I separate myself to love her, and in loving her, I know what pleases her. I know what would hurt her or shame her or injure her. And because I've set my eyes on being near her and cherishing her, 
I therefore turned my back to the world. How many people understand what I'm saying today? You see, I don't have to tell you from the pulpit, don't watch this movie and do watch this movie. I don't have to tell you where this clothes and that clothes. Because if you set your eyes on Jesus Christ, you'll just want to be like him. You'll know what pleases him. You'll know. See, religion likes to control and own you and tell you and draw these lines and these boxes and fit you into this. But if you would just set your eyes on loving Jesus, you'll satisfy him. Amen. Number one, see society for what is. Number two, see yourself for what we are. Ephesus, he says, guys, I need you to look in the mirror. Examine yourself. The Bible says if you judge yourself, you wouldn't be judged. If you examine yourself first, man, he says, examine yourself. Where are you? Church today is the same issue. Where's the temperature of your relationship with God? Where's your love at for him? Are you as passionate as you are? Can you remember the day? Why did you become a Christian? Think about those moments. It was awesome to have a testimony this morning of new beginnings. Why did you become a Christian? What was it like? What made you turn your life to Jesus? And when you did, what did you do? What were you like? How often did you go to church? How often did you pray? How often did you read your Bible? Were you excited? Were you joyful? Were you just energetic? See yourself. Were you growing? Has it become normal lately? Is it still new? He says, unless you keep it new, unless you renew it, I will remove it. And lastly, he says, I want you to see me. He says, guys, I'll close with this. He says, I am the one holding this church up with my hand. I am the one walking through the midst of the lampstands, which is the church. I'm the one that's being present, that's protecting you and loving you. And he says, in this world, in the city of Ephesus, and they've dug this up. They've, they found some uh, elements of fragments of these artifacts as they dug it up. They found that in this temple of Ephesus, not only was there all this pagan ritualism, but there was uh, artifacts of the tree of life. And some scholars think that in this courtyard, this uh, paradise, all right, there was this garden in Ephesus that you could go to and, and find refuge. You could touch these trees and pray to be having a baby because it's fertility or to have new life. Get the theology here. Have new life be born in you. And he says, the world has been looking to all this falsehood of sin to find hope, to find new life, to find belonging, to find identity. They're sinning and they're sinning and they're sinning and they conjure up all the paradises they can try to find. They try to find a paradise in a chat room. They try to find a paradise by looking like the latest Hollywood star. They, they try to find a paradise in some new relationship born in sin. They, they try to find a paradise in drugs and alcohol. And, and they try to find hope and identity and purpose and all these things. If I can just identify with this gender, if I can just do this, if I can just find hope in this job, if I can just get a new relationship, if I can just build my own paradise... If I can just touch this tree of life, it'll give me newness. And he says, church, if you hold on to me, I will give you a V, tree of life. And where is it? It is in the paradise of God. It is the only way you're going to find true hope and true happiness. It's the only way that you will partake of something that's forever new. How many people know you don't got to look anywhere else for anything you need but Jesus Christ? 
You want hope, identity, belonging, peace, love. It is all. And he says, church, you have got to see me anew. This world is looking for all kinds of things. But right here at this altar, he would tell them, he's like, I am all that you need. I don't care if your pastor is Paul. I don't care if he's Peter. I don't care if he's Timothy. I don't care if we've got the best programs. I don't care if we have the best doctrine. I don't care if we separate ourselves from the world to make us look more holy than anybody else. If we don't have a loving, passionate, honeymoon relationship with Jesus, we've lost it. He says, unless you repent and renew, I will remove. How many people want a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ in 2020? Amen. Would you stand with me all across this place? Worship team, would you come? Let's pray that. I want you to think right now, as we prepare for prayer, I want you to think right now of that day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to think about those first weeks, months, and years. And we're going to ask God, Lord, renew that in me. Just like a marriage, we need to go back to dating Jesus maybe again. We need to kind of renew this honeymoon phase of falling in love with him over and over again. Maybe today you need to have a revelation of where you are. Maybe today you need to have a revelation of something you've been putting all your energy into. Maybe it's been a job. Maybe it's been a career. Maybe it's been just trying to get through drama in your life. Maybe you've been trying to find peace and hope and, and, and just the joy again, and, and you've not found it. It's, it's just lacking in so many places. He says, I want you to look again at me. Come look again at me and, and see me. See if I don't provide all your needs. See if in me you don't find joy and zealousness and passion and, and the fire of the Holy Spirit again. See if you don't see it in me. Renew that love for me. Church, where are you at on your journey? Where are you at on your journey? I don't care if you've been married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. You can always afford to renew your love. You can always afford to renew your love. And if it's the most important thing in your life, it's going to be the top priority. And he says, I want you to come back to your first love. Put me at the top of the list. Is Jesus at the top of your list this morning? You may love him in doctrine. You may love him in work and in deeds. But is he at the top? Is he your first love? Maybe today here you're here and you need to get right with Jesus. Maybe today you need to ask him to save your soul. Maybe today if you were to die today, you would say, Pastor, I don't know where I would spend eternity. I need to get right with Jesus before I leave this place today. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you in a moment to come forward and find a place to pray and get your life in order with him. Put him back at the top and, and he's going to forgive you and love you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Or maybe Christian, you would want to come with me and say, Hey, it's 2020. It's a new year. It's a new season. I want to enter this year in a new relationship with Jesus. I want to renew my relationship with Him. I want to fall in love with Jesus over again. And and there is no shame. Listen to me. There is no shame in that church. You should want to fall in love with Jesus again. He's that good. He's that good. And so I'm going to pray. And in a moment, as just a step of faith, between you and God, I want you to just come if you say, hey, I, wanna, I want to make sure this year I'm renewing my relationship with Jesus Christ. 
falling in love with him more this year than even last year. I want you just to come find a place to pray. You can stand, you can kneel, you can sit on this front row, whatever it is, but just, can we do that? Can we say, God, I'm going to come close to you, just symbolically. And Lord, I'm praying right now, Father, of every person here today, God, renew, renew the love, renew the passion, renew the power, renew the fire of the Holy Spirit. Renew our dedication to you, Lord. More than religion, give us relationship, God. Stir in our hearts, oh God, for that flame, Lord, that where we met you for the first time, God, and everything was new and exciting. May it be exciting and new and, and fiery once again, Lord. Renew it, Lord, I pray, as we come close to you this morning as a step of faith. God, we know you're going to meet us in these altars. And if that's you right now, one, two, three, if you want to come find a place to say, Lord, I want to renew. I want to renew that burden for you, that passion for you. Let's seek him this morning. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. God,